My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the Lord be in my heart and on my lips that I may worthily and fitly proclaim the gospel in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this Advent season, uh, our theme that we're going to be dealing with throughout um, the month, uh, well today in the month of December leading up to Christmas, is the theme of Emmanuel, which means God with us. What does it mean that God is with us? What does it show us about God and what does it show us about ourselves? The title of today's sermon is Justice and Righteousness. Justice and Righteousness. I remember my late Nana, Nana Landsman, and my my father's side of the family uh, is Jewish. And my dad converted to Christianity as a young man um, before he, you know, he married my mom and before he had us, but he was a young man fresh out of the army. And uh, he has actually a really remarkable testimony. He told me some of the stuff he was planning to do, and let's just say it was very illegal. Um, Interesting stuff. But my dad randomly found himself at a Bible study and was converted to Christ. And he compounded the stress that this caused his family by then becoming a Christian minister. And it brought great stress upon him and his family and his relationship, especially with his parents. And that was repaired over time. One thing I appreciated about my Nana was her insistence on sending us Hanukkah presents instead of Christmas presents. I'll never forget the way I came to learn the story of Hanukkah as laid out in the book of 1st Maccabees, because in the Bibles that we had at our house, they did not contain the Apocrypha or the Deuterocanonical books of the Bible. So one day she sent me for Hanukkah a short comic book. And if you're a kid, you probably love comic books. And some adults today still love comic books. I still like to read from time to time. And the story in the comic book was the story of Hanukkah about the rebellion of the Maccabees against the the Seleucids and the miracle of the oil. And when she visited, I asked her once why she didn't want to become a Christian. And after patiently listening to my reasons why she should be a Christian, she responded that the Bible said that the promised Messiah would be named Emmanuel. But the child of Mary and Joseph was not named Emmanuel, rather the child was named Jesus. And since I was a kid, I didn't know how to respond. But I think her response highlights something important that has been present since the time of Jesus. That people misunderstand Jesus, they misunderstand how the scriptures speak of Jesus, and as a result misunderstand what Jesus came to do and the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated. And one of the largest misunderstandings, I believe, is in regards 
to justice. And we heard these words referenced in uh, the reading from the book of Jeremiah this morning. We heard about justice and righteousness together. Justice is a very loaded word right now. People who loudly agitate and intimidate through social media and through demonstration are sometimes called a social justice warrior. The problem, brothers and sisters, is that we incorporate modern concepts and secular concepts of justice into the biblical text, distorting the commonalities that actually might be there between what we see in scripture and what's going on in our society, thus skewing the very definition and transforming the mission and message of Jesus. So today we're going to look at the concepts of justice and righteousness as part of it, what it means about God being with us. God being with us. So in the reading that we heard from Jeremiah, we're going to talk a little bit about social and liberative justice versus uh, biblical justice. In the reading from Jeremiah, is speaking of the righteous branch, right? This righteous, righteous branch will spring up for, for David, right? So this is a reference to this coming person in the Davidic line who embodies righteousness. And part of that embodiment of righteousness is his enacting of justice and righteousness in the land, right? Scripture clearly speaks of justice and righteousness and how it plays out in society. That's part of God being with us. And this ties into what we talked about last week when I preached uh, about Christ being the king. And notice that this fulfillment made not just the people of Judah that, that Jeremiah speaks of, but the remnants of the land and the people ruled by David and his descendants, but also for the entire people of Israel. And we have to remember, brothers and sisters, that when we read the scriptures in 2 Kings, I believe, that the Assyrians come and they take ten, the ten tribes of Israel that had split from the two tribes of Judah and carried the ten tribes off into captivity, completely assimilated them into the empire, and then repopulated the land with their own people. That that's where we get the New Testament people of the Samaritans. But the return of Israel is seen being foretold here in the book of Jeremiah, but also it's shown in the reception of the Gentiles into the people of God. As St. Peter reminded them on Pentecost, this promise is for you, your children, and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And Jerusalem, the chief city of Judea, as well as a description of the coming city of God in the age to come, is called the Lord is our righteousness. We'll talk more about righteousness in a little bit. And it's important to note, brothers and sisters, that as you'll see through the season of Advent, as we continue to dig into the scriptures and hear the scriptures read, we are going to see this theme of the coming, the foretold coming of Jesus and his kingdom in the Old Testament. And then we're going to read, even in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the foretelling of Christ coming again, which we heard read in the Gospel of Luke this morning. So one of the ways we misunderstand justice and liberative justice is by equating it with what's called social justice. So bear with me, okay. At its best, 
Social justice highlights that there has been or there still are structures in our society that either have or continue to foster inequality. At its best, social justice highlights those facts and says, these are things that are still happening. We need to fix these things. I think a clear example, and this is one that's close to my heart, as for obvious reasons, would be racism. Racism has and still exists in our society, and social justice at its best calls us to acknowledge where we went wrong and continue to ensure that the color of a person's skin has no bearing on their treatment by society. I think that's something that we can all, whether on the left or the right or the middle, we can all agree on that. At its worst, social justice can become blinded by ideology. That inequality is seen even where it may not or does not exist. Which is why our view of justice has to be more informed by scripture and the teaching of the church than what's told to us in social media and secular society. Liberative justice is freedom from antiquated morality, usually of the Christian variety. And this is undertaken in order to liberate us, to liberate our true selves, the true person who lives within us. That's who we really are, which is, of course, a denigration of the body, as well as a form of the heresy of Gnosticism. The authentic self, the search for the authentic self and the manifestation of the authentic self is seen in our society today as one of the highest goods. But and we see this in children's programming and we see this in entertainment. But brothers and sisters, scripture reminds us that the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceptively wicked above all things. Who can trust it? If you follow, has anybody ever told you when you're trying to make a really important decision, you know, you just really need to follow your heart. I've been told that. You don't have to raise your hand because I'm pretty sure all of us have been told that and we've probably all said it at one point. I've said it at one point or another. I'm sure you have too. With good intentions, right? That is some of the worst advice you could ever give anybody. Follow your heart. Because we understand as Christians that our hearts have become marred by sin. That our hearts have become corrupted by sin. Think of maybe a painting and then think about how people maybe over time have tried to fix painting or touch up a painting and have wound up ruining the painting. So what you have to do is then you have to call somebody in to come and try to restore that painting to what it originally looks like. I think that's an analogy, an imperfect analogy of what we're talking about here about our hearts. Our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts can lie to us because if we were to follow our heart, sometimes our hearts would lead us to make a decision that's wrong. That's wrong. 
I can tell you stories of people I know who have followed their hearts into adultery and divorce. That was not a good decision on their part. Because that plays itself out then. Sin then affects not just the person who commits it, but the circle around those who commit it. It was not a good decision for them. That is why we cannot follow our hearts. We cannot trust our hearts. I'm not saying that we're completely... We're destroyed, right? Our hearts are completely destroyed by sin, but we have to realistically deal with the fact that our hearts have been marred by sin. As a friend of mine says often, Father Andrew, he says, don't follow your heart, lead your heart. And so when we continue to talk about justice then, liberative or social, what's happened is social justice and liberative justice have come to mean that our society is, an, is encumbered by oppressive systems of power that have harmed everyone. And the only way to enact change is through revolution by whatever means that takes. To burn down the current social order and the structures of our current social order in the name of equity. Everything has to be dismantled and taken down to the studs. The house must be destroyed and then something else must be rebuilt in its place. The thing is, though, if that action takes human shape and human form, then what gets torn down in the process is much that is good in our society and replaced with the prevailing social order that has shallow roots in dubious academic and political philosophy. Because God is the only one who can take the house down to the studs and rebuild it. So let's talk a little bit about restorative justice. Restorative justice, justice from a Christian perspective. A friend of mine, uh, the Reverend Dr. Stephen DeYoung, has written at length on the concept of justice in the scriptures, and he noted the following, and I thought this is worth quoting. He said, The state of justice is the original state of the created order. In fact, it is the order that constitutes God's creative act against chaos. It's a reference to Genesis 1. The lasting rest and peace of the age to come, an age without end, will be ordered by divine justice. So God's act of creation has been marred by the corrupting power of death and sin, which plays itself out in the human heart, like I just said, which not only affects the earth and the created order, but the, the human person. Right? So all acts of injustice that we perpetrate against human beings is our collusion with the forces of chaos, the evil spiritual forces that oppose themselves to God, our collusion with Satan. And we see this every day happening. We see this in media companies, forcing social changes on children through entertainment. And churches can get swept up in this as well. The other day I saw a particular church denomination has a drag Sunday where the pastor dresses in drag and celebrates this liberation from these norms of society. 
My friends, this is not liberative justice. This is the very embodiment of chaos. Listen to me very carefully. We are not liberated to sin. St. Paul makes this point in Romans where he says, Shall we sin more that grace can abound? He says, Certainly not. We are not liberated to sin and sin's power. We are liberated from sin and sin's power. What is needed then is the healing of the corruption of the human heart brought by death and our enslavement to sin. What is needed is the embodiment of life itself, of wholeness itself, of restoration itself. And every Advent and Christmas time, we celebrate that. We get that in the enfleshment of God the Word, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? The Word, the one through whom God created all things, the one whose Word holds everything together, shows up in human history right there the lowliest of the low the helpless of the helpless in order to heal us in order to renew us to regenerate us and this then enables us then to pursue true justice in the here and now our concern for the powerless and the oppressed right this is one of the main Areas that some conservative churches fall short on. They focus so much on let's try to get people saved that they say we shouldn't worry about oppression. That stuff will just sort itself out. Those are just political issues that need to be left alone. But the scriptures tell us, brothers and sisters, that God has concern for the powerless and the oppressed and the poor. This is why we work with organizations that Jeanette talked about earlier like Bright Hope. Because this is an organization where biblical justice is being enacted through. Because what Bright Hope does is it gives women the opportunity to pursue choosing life for their baby. This is biblical justice. By giving them what they need, supplies, Food, strollers, diapers, medical care, free, a place to live. This, brothers and sisters, this is biblical justice. This is why we work with organizations like the Food Bank, because Scripture tells us, hey, do you remember the poor and the needy, the people who don't have food and clothes? You as Christians, you really need to take care of stuff like that. That's important to God, which is why it should be important for us too. And we're going to be doing stuff like that next year with Bethlehem Emergency Services. God cares about these things. And we cannot super spiritualize our faith to the point where it has no practical everyday effect. But at the same time, we can't take every single social issue and then slap justice on it and then try and work for that if it speaks against the scriptures. Now, at the return of the Lord, as we heard mentioned this morning, God's restorative justice one day will be fully realized for every single person. 
And I'm going to read Jeremiah 33, 6 to 9, which was not part of the reading, but gives us a good description where it says, Behold, I will bring it to health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I restore the fortunes of Judah, the fortunes of Israel, and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy. Praise and glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. So God, right, all this prosperity and security is coming to the people of Judah and Israel, right? But what is God going to do along with that? I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me and I will forgive it and I will forgive the rebellion against me. We cannot move to what justice calls us to do without having God's justice first enacted in our hearts by the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of our guilt, the forgiveness of our rebellion against God. Then we can enact and live in and offer biblical justice. Let's talk a little bit about righteousness. In the scriptures, justice and righteousness flow together, right? One informing the other. The great Anglican bishop and scholar N.T. Wright noted about the concept of righteousness that it can refer to a few things. And this is a big summarization. An emphasis on right behavior, an emphasis on moral character and status as in a legal verdict, and then as in a relational aspect with God in the context of a covenant with God. So with that in mind, the reading from the Thessalonians talks about holiness. He talks about their hearts being blameless in holiness before God the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. So to be righteous, as N.T. Wright points out, and as we see in this reading from the Thessalonians, means that we need to increase in love to one another. Look at the person sitting next to you. And that's the person, and if you're not sitting next to anybody, look behind you. Or look up at me. I'm looking at you, Joanne, I see you. I got you, I got you. You are to increase in love to that person. Now look to the other side. And if there's nobody there, you can look at me. That, <laughs> and you get the point, in front of you and behind you and all around you, this is the person you need to increase in love to as well. And then, and then, our hearts are blameless before the Lord, right? So we, there's that aspect of, of, of Emmanuel, of God being with us. Our hearts are cleansed. We increase in love towards one another. This shows itself out then in holiness, as Paul, as, as Paul says in Thessalonians. Our, our sanctification, our being cleansed by God, are being set apart for God to be used for his purposes. And then... When we increase in love for one another, showing the holiness that God has given us, having our hearts cleansed, our sins forgiven, our reception of the forgiveness and salvation that Christ brings, then we can then look outside and bring that to others. Increase in love for your neighbor. Increase in love to the one you might have, might have had the worst discussion or argument with over Thanksgiving. Maybe you've thought about, thought about religion or politics or all of those things, right? All of the above. Or maybe you had a really bad argument about maybe the new Ghostbusters movie wasn't as good as the original. I don't know what you argue about at Thanksgiving, right? But you need to increase in love to that person too. 
And then that spreads not only among one another, but to all around us as we love God and we seek to love and serve our neighbor. And true justice then flows from redeemed hearts that walk in love with one another and whose hearts are blameless before God. The holiness we have received, that it is maintained and demonstrated. And all of this matters, brothers and sisters. All of this matters. Is because of what we heard read in the gospel this morning from Luke. That Jesus is returning. When I was a little kid, well, look at when I was old enough, right? I used to love Bond movies. And at the end of the movie, right after he rescued the girl and he killed the evil villain, right? The credits would roll. At the very end, it would always say, James Bond will return. And I was a little kid. I was always like, yeah, I can't wait. Not knowing that there were already like 40 movies that I hadn't seen yet, right? But we see something like that in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus is always saying things like, I'm coming back. Be ready. I'm going to give you a bunch of things to do. I want you to be busy doing that. So when I come, I can find you doing that and find you ready. Right? He calls all to the wedding feast. He does call all to the wedding feast, right? But what he also does is in the parable of the wedding feast, those who are not clothed with the right clothes get kicked out of the wedding feast. So the invitation is open, but then people come dressed shabby. They get kicked out of the feast because they're supposed to be showing up to the feast wearing their best. That's a picture, brothers and sisters, of our task as we come to the table of the Lord, right? We come wearing our best clothes, like clothed in him, right? But that shows us that we are to be ready. Jesus will return. As like we said last week uh, in, in our, on Christ the King, right? That reading that, that says, the, even those who pierced him, they will see him. Jesus is coming back. We confess it almost every Sunday. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. That's what it means, Emmanuel. God with us. Our walking out of justice and righteousness that he himself set the pattern for. And so to Emmanuel, our Lord Jesus Christ be all glory together with his Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.